0: your source for warhammer underworld's and under 30 new players that you're going to bring to the game in 2022 i'm your host Davey, and with me as always i got phil how are you doing phil
1: hey doing pretty good
0: all right glad to hear it uh we are here with uh a guest host uh today uh for our topic of new players in harrow deep bringing new players on and we've uh specifically brought on a, a champion of our local scene uh and that's skyler how are you doing
2: skyler I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for being on. Uh, you've been onboarding a lot of players, running a lot of uh, of uh, teaching games, and so when we realized we were going to do this, we we figured we better uh, the the only the right thing to do would be to get you on here. So uh, I'm, ec- I, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> uh, for the context, we're recording this in uh, early December. Uh, there's not really any new news. It's uh, everyone's just kind of. Uh, Getting comfortable in the Harrow Deep, uh, yeah, I or, think, or not I think, comfortable in the Harrow Deep, depending on what faction. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I
1: think maybe the only like real actual news that's been like posted by GW that has anything pertaining with Underworlds is that officially confirmed that Underworlds will be back at Adepticon next year, <laughs> assuming that Adepticon actually happens. Um, I think at this point it sounds pretty likely given vaccinations and all of that but i'm i'm not holding my breath i just feel like things are still too amorphous in the world to really count on that but it is definitely a cool thing to hope for yeah fingers
2: crossed on this end
1: yeah
0: grand clash uh on the on the uh on the books and who knows what else um so yeah that is exciting um we are going to talk some of our usual sections. Uh, so this this episode topic was also slightly inspired by uh, uh, some user feedback we got. So in our community, shout outs. I want to uh, shout out uh, Kiney, who uh, I, I thought his name was Kenny, then I looked a little closer to Kiney. Uh, but he's uh, a Brazilian listener, actually. And he pointed out uh, we had been overlooking. We, we usually try to do a good job of uh, when we talk about a card name explaining what that card does. Um, but uh in our last episode we kind of got away from that um and he uh, he called it out he said hey I'm, I'm a i'm a newer player like we're we're uh, still waiting on our harrow deep copy down here and uh, i kind of got lost in that and uh so that's on us and uh we we thought in uh, uh in exchange in payment we'll uh we'll do this uh episode for aimed at uh, bringing new players on uh, so people can grow that so a little little new player centric i suppose you could
1: call it yeah and we haven't done a new player episode for quite a long time so mm-hmm. i think the last one we had was our like rules of thumb uh which is probably over a year old now so maybe more yeah maybe so. more <laughs> eric was on that one so it's been oh no <laughs> it's, it's at least two, it.
0: <laughs> uh anywho um We'll, uh, we'll break into that. Uh, there was other feedback with, uh, I think this name is Leithenum, Leithenum, uh on the Discord. He was uh, mentioning that we overlooked a card, a Path of Order, um, in, in our last episode. And that would be a Grand Alliance-specific uh, card for, unsurprisingly, Order. And this is relevant to our, our discussion of uh, holding objectives. And this is a dual. Score this in an end phase. If your warband holds two or more objectives and two or more enemy fighters are out of action um and he said hey what you know you, did you guys mean to forget this and no and he said what do you think about this and my first instinct is i looked at it and i don't know what you guys have uh done much looking at it but I, I was like oh this is just like kind of a a second tier um path to victory right the yeah. path to victory however he pointed out path to victory has a requirement that that fighter be taken out of action in that round mm-hmm. so this this one needs two enemy fighters out of action um but uh they could have been taken out in a previous round so yeah um i tend to see cards through a filter of how easy is it to score early uh rather than so for for me it was my instinct was i think i probably if i had to pick one it's probably path to victory um because uh engineering that that one kill uh i don't know like if, if you can get two you can get you, you would have gotten one. so, But uh, I think there's certainly decks that'll double down on this for sure. Uh,
2: I think that the uh, new mulligan rule uh, really uh, weighs in strong here as well because you know if you don't take it uh, in your opening hand because maybe you mulliganed it out uh, and you score a surge early, you're still getting that early glory, that early momentum. So when you see it come up, you've at least gotten um, something early to work with mm. um, and can start aiming for it um i really like cards that reward um out of action fighters through the course of the game instead of having to count on that that clutch dice roll in that single round
0: yeah this is a good point uh and uh is also if you know you got this in the deck and you're like all right let me let me work towards getting two down uh and that'll pay off later so uh um, yeah. i think your mileage may vary if you play against a lot of resurrecting war bands uh i've been doing some denying of uh things like clean kills or bold deeds by bringing ghouls back so but uh that that may be your individual meta specific
1: i think at least from my experience with the stalkers so far i'm being forced to be a bit more flex than i used to be um Mm -hmm. so it's something i'm considering trying out i'm still on the fence about it um but i think it's it's probably good enough to make the 12 um it's just a question of like once we have a few more cards, is it gonna to continue to be good enough? and i'm I'm already thinking it might be like thirteenth objective card, which you mm. could play a thirteenth objective now, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to. but I think it's worth trying. so i'm gonna well, I'm probably yeah. gonna slot it in and give it a go.
0: And I think sure. it occupies uh, the area of card that should be considered, like a two glory in phase score uh, automatically gets considered. We have a we have kind of a small stable of these. Uh, two fighters are out of action, and you're in enemy territory, or two—well, six wounds worth of fighters are out of action, yep. and there's no wound. Like there's there's quite a few. Uh, there's Path of Victory two, one fighter. You know, like there's these two glory ones that are uh, kind of do these two things. And so I think you look at what you're already doing, and if you're like, yeah, I want to hold objectives, I really don't want to push all my guys into enemy territory. So maybe this is what I'm going for. So, um. Phil, did you have anything you want to shout out community-wise?
1: Yeah. Um, so I just read the... Because I'm... I mean, if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, you probably already know that we, we feel pretty strongly about push cards and that push cards are like top-shelf, top very powerful cards to have in your decks. And I saw that there was an article about Mirror Move uh, with the Glory Seekers blog. And I thought that would be pretty interesting to give a look at and it definitely was there was some some really cool uh, push tech uh, moves in there things that you can do it sort of outlined a few kind of edge scenarios but it's like hey these are tricks that you can pull with this card that are like more than the basic I got a free sidestep or a distraction out of this Mm -hmm. Um, it's always fun to see some people like really outlining like how far you can go with some of these cards Uh, yeah I will uh
0: I will leave the article for people to read. I did see there was one comment, um, somebody uh, giving some feedback that I really liked was because uh, mighty swing you see a fair amount of that or scything attacks, and if uh, if the opponent drives back an early fighter,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, then, uh, to to make to reduce the supports on later attacks, a mirror move can be a way to break that uh, break that scything attack by throwing the attacker uh, back out of range, and then
1: yeah, that's uh, pretty fun. So.
0: Um, but it's all it's all tricks like that. So worth a read. It's a quick hit one. Uh, Skylar, what about you? Any community shout outs?
2: Uh, just a small one. Um, uh, Brian in our local scene is a great friend of mine. And I wanted to give him a shout out for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he uh, introduced me to this game and also um, int- er, taught me how to paint. Um, mm. So Wild Hunt is a, is a favorite warband of mine. Uh, it's the only one I have paint on. And uh, he pushed me through um, many, many painting tutorials and many, many hours uh, of getting them uh, from start to finish. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier with the result. And learned a lot. He's um, he's always painting. Uh, he is a huge Warhammer ambassador, and I I wanted to give him a shout out.
0: Well, I wish my first warband looked as good as your first warband. <laughs> it is really boss. They look cool. So yeah, uh, thank you, Skyler. That actually makes a, a good transition so uh it sounds like you said uh brian brought you in uh we're gonna do some what the heck is going on with you and this is a good opportunity why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into underworlds uh and then uh, tell us what you've been doing lately
2: sure um so i'm a long time uh board gamer uh started uh board gaming in college and it's only grown since and um I was always uh, so uh, Brian, particularly, was always looking to get me into Warhammer to some degree, um, and we we tried it out uh, like the 40k or sorry 40k uh, scale. We did some scenario play, and it, it wasn't quite my cup of tea. Uh, so he's always been pushing to just kind of edge me in further and further into Warhammer, um, and I fell in love with a board game called Forbidden Stars, uh, mm. and. Uh, that that's a fantasy flight one out of, out of print these days. Uh, still to this day, one of my favorite, uh, board games, um, regardless of IP. And then later on, he tried to appeal to the card gamer in me and Warhammer champions came out Uh, also, (laughs) also a dead (laughs) game at this point. Um, or at least an out of print game, (laughs) um, really enjoyed that. And, uh, then he was like, all right, we're going we're to try one more thing. The, the board gamer in you really really likes hexes, is uh, almost allergic to using a ruler. So uh, <laughs> this game has hexes, figures, and cards. It's got to be a hit with you. Um, and pushed it to the table. Um, if I recall correctly, purchased um, the Beastgrave starter set for me. And uh, off to the races.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm glad that, uh, glad that did the trick. Uh so uh, that's part of why you have you on. We have you on is uh is that you uh, relative to us are a newer player to the um, to the game. Although now it sounds like year and a half, two years, something like that. Uh, corrected for COVID, I suppose.
2: The pandemic makes it really hard. <laughs> <laughs> some Still time,
0: some indeterminate amount of time. Uh, mm-hmm. What I we I know that you are a big wild hunt guy. For I think our first you know eight or nine games were you playing wild hunt. Um, what have you been doing lately?
2: Uh, Lately, I've been um, sampling a lot of different warbands and playing a lot of rivals. Uh, That has been uh, partly to explore and uh, partly to accommodate uh, new players. Um, When I'm playing those teaching games, it's nice to grab something I'm unfamiliar with um, to a certain degree uh, to explore while I'm playing the game with them. Um, That way... I'm getting um, a little bit more out of it, you know, personally, than um, just the the teaching game that I, I'm facilitating. But that that's my number one priority. But it, it's nice to kind of um, get that cursory glance at another warband through these teaching games. So I've been doing a lot of that. Um, Mad Mom has become a staple for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played Mad Mom probably uh, five times, so staple over the course of only a couple of weeks. Um, But I keep coming back to it. Uh, I really enjoy it. It was across the table from me during uh, one of my teaching games. uh, And I was really surprised how well they handled in a Rivals game uh, and in a first game uh, for this player. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, they kind of caught me off guard like that. And now I'm uh, working on a championship deck for them, hoping to bring that to the local scene in the near future. Sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, I like those guys a lot. Uh, I like that they all have kind of different roles uh and that there's a lot of cool tricks that you can do with them like they they're fun in that way uh absolutely what about you phil
1: yeah so i've i've just been getting a couple games in still been pretty busy lately um so as i mentioned sort of tinkering with stalkers a bit lately um need to do a few card swaps uh Realizing now that there's a number of cards in the deck that I originally built for the season rotation that just really don't hold up that well. Mm. Um, Particularly things that care about pushing objective tokens around. (laughs) Uh, There's just, it's too hard to get them flipped and then be able to push them around. Um, And then just to try and branch out and try a few new things i've been trying to look for an aggro warband and i think right now and this is probably not surprising to anyone hrothgorn looks very strong at the moment mm. so i've been looking at hrothgorn to be doing a few, something a little different because i've been playing stalkers a lot since they came out
0: yes you have but you you were, <laughs> yeah. you, you waited many seasons to get your uh, <laughs> get on. my favorites yeah yeah myself i've uh i did finish the grim watch i've got them uh got em with some uh gnarly blood smears on them uh i was pretty happy with how that looked with kind of the pale uh pale tones i used for them and then the sort of dark red on that was a it was a good contrast yeah, uh, they
1: look so. they look real good
0: yeah uh, I, I was i was uh pretty satisfied with them uh, a little less satisfied with my performance on them on the board <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's been really fun to, to try out especially uh i'd I played some before we recorded the last episode and i played some more now and uh Man, like in the name of the king is hard work now <laughs> uh yeah. with uh with objectives needing to be delved and uh being placed in much more dangerous spots um it it is challenging uh i, I matt brought uh Corn, and i was like oh, check this out like I, I i think i've got this cool combo like i've got i'm gonna have a lot of people in his territory and he's gonna let me inspire and all I did was just fed him guilt, ghoul after ghoul. And, uh, <laughs> and just, like smoking them one after the other with his crossbow. I was like, well, this is not, <laughs> I, uh, it just seven glory in the first turn and, or in oh the first boy. round. And Oof. I got one, so, Oof. Uh, but, uh, challenges, challenges abound, but, uh, I'm going to stick with, it. I got a couple tweaks and, uh, I, I feel like I'm learning a lot too. So it's good. Good to have the challenge.
2: Yeah. I imagine uh, Phil can relate uh, quite a bit having the Starblood Stalkers with that In the Name of the King challenge. Uh, I fielded them recently uh, during during one of those teaching games, and I found just the fact that you have to survive the next activation in order to get uh, the inspiration mechanic to pop off mm. um, was uh, quite difficult. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot tougher than it used to be, but they... I don't know. We don't need to go into a huge like strategy Starblast sure. stalkers t- chat, but they, they have some ways of making it happen where it's, it's still doable.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, I am enjoying the challenge though. I'm enjoying the, the shakeup and, uh, I'm also liking that I can, you know, if I, if I need a, a breath back of aggro, that's always available to me. Um, I was doing a lot of faction hopping as well. I've been trying to focus on bringing factions that, uh, that we don't see as much uh, in mm. our local, so um, they're definitely. Uh, I think uh, both players I played last week when I set Grimwatch out. They're like, I don't think I've ever played them. And I was like, Well, here you go. Here we go. You know, so <laughs> this is a very different experience than you would have had. Uh, yeah, a, a year or two ago, they don't uh, strike
1: terror them. into your heart as soon as you <laughs> see them on the board. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh but uh, yeah, that's what's up. But uh let's talk uh, let's talk some new players. So we are talking uh we kind of came up with some. This is just gonna be a conversation about um onboarding new players, and this is kind of a good time for it. This is uh a new season is upon us. Um it's that time of year where uh many of us are giving gifts. So you might be giving hero Deep to somebody. Um somebody might be looking for uh, or they might get some hobby money or something like that. Um, depending, but, uh, if people are looking for a new game in the new year, uh, how do we help them do that? So we're going to talk, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, some tips for teaching. We're going to talk about, uh, what kind of matchups, like what, what do we recommend for that first intro game? Like the very first one, uh, what do we think are maybe some factions that are good for people to start with? And then once you have kind of got, got somebody's beak a little wet on this, then what's, uh, what's, what do they want uh next? What's a good next step? Um and I think actually uh we'll start with uh some considerations um when you're when you're making some of these decisions. And uh one that uh somebody threw down here was uh all of this, all of this is gonna be in context of uh, understanding the player that you're you're introducing so are you introducing a player who uh, like you you said Skyler when you were introduced to it um uh, Brian knew that you liked hexes and you liked cards and you didn't like measuring and all that sort of thing like he had all these check boxes and it sounds like you had an extensive board gaming um background Absolutely. Uh, so uh, that's an important part and how however much experience the person has means that you may s- skip some of these very, very introductory steps, uh, that we'll talk about and kind of onboard them uh, a little bit later in the process, uh, with a little bit more of an advanced understanding, um, or, or not. But, um, uh, and sometimes we can do that because it's somebody we know well, and sometimes it's, Hey, somebody just walked into the store. Um, and so you, you might only have a few questions to kind of feel out, uh, feel this out. So, um, Uh, Phil you had some thoughts on that with uh, like a a player profile sort of thing
1: yeah so so I think when you're this is just sort of a general like how do you want to approach introducing someone to a game Um, and in some ways you know the most or the I guess in my opinion the the best way to get someone into a game is to find the way to sort of give them that hook find that Mm -hmm. thing that they like Mm -hmm. and have them be like this is super cool I want to keep doing this regardless of their understanding of the rules or how well it's going to play like if they just enjoy the experience then they should hopefully want to keep doing it Um, and so like some of this goes into uh, like what is it that you're wanting to use to get them into the game um so like i think gw kind of does this a lot for their other games too where it's like look at how cool these models are like (laughs) the the game gets completely (laughs) removed from the decision point of where do you start right it's like what what speaks to you and so in some ways it's like okay if you know that this person is just like I don't know anything about these games. I don't really care about like how the rules work. I just want to do something fun. You can worry less about like what's going to be an easy mechanic versus like, hey, here's this really cool thing that I think you're going to like. Let's try this. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's that comes with knowing who you're going to be introducing the game to. So this is probably more of like with Skylar's situation where it's like, hey, I know you because you're my friend and I know the things that you already like in these other games. Let's try some of those things to get you in. So this is like an approach that you can take for people you know well. Um, For people that you don't know as well, um, Magic has a sort of profile that you can also use for something like this. Um, For those who are not aware of it, they have Timmy, Johnny, Spike, and female equivalents of those names. that It's just shorthand. It came up a long time ago, but the idea is that like they created these psychographic profiles of like, an archetypical person who wants to play the game in a specific way. And so it's like because of the way their brain works, this is the type of, type of thing that they like. So for instance, the, the easiest example I think to explain is with Timmy or Tammy and that it's like I want to do big, flashy, stompy things. Like, I don't really care what happens. I just want to see something cool. And so you give that player something that fulfills that desire, and it doesn't really matter if they're going to win or not. They're still going to have fun. So a correlation for this game would be like, I just want to like roll dice and smash things. So you're like, here's some orcs. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's it's not a, like a hard r- suggestion but it's like i think it's a good way to get to get to that core of like finding the hook get the player yeah. in
0: that's another tool uh for doing
1: that yeah
0: Scryther, rather uh you're, you're the one who said maybe the most recent experience with this have you have you uh done much with uh trying to in your recent teaching games have you been uh picking out certain aspects and matching them? What what kind of experience have you had most recently with this?
2: Sure. Uh, so I've had the uh, fortune of playing with uh, people that I know are really into board gaming um, on the whole. So I've been able to lean into that uh, and realize that the mechanics aren't going to be uh, any sort of barrier here. And so what I've been doing is um, I'll actually put out um, different war bands on a shelf. Um, I've got a lit shelf downstairs and I'll put them out and then I'll bring the new player over and I'll be like, you know, who would you like to play? And I'll, I'll kind of just give them an overview as they, point you know to oh you know this war van looks cool so kind of appealing to more uh just right out of the gate the aesthetics like oh i, I if we have one friend who uh just kept wanting to try the different orcs and um that <laughs> that made me happy uh his his first game unfortunately actually this is years ago uh was with uh iron skull uh into uh grimwatch uh, this was oh, when we no. were... I... <laughs> 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 this was when we were all uh, fairly brand new and very excited and when um, we didn't know the the power curve at the time that was the Grimwatch, watch and we didn't know how poorly aged uh, iron skull was um, so, uh, we, we did not bring that friend into the game, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, uh, to his credit, he, you know, a couple years later, uh, I let him know that the, the rules have matured, um, and that. I had put him in this scenario, right? I kind of set him up to fail. Uh, And I was like, why don't you come over? Uh, I have a much better understanding of the warbands these days. uh, And I think they all have something very interesting to offer. And you're not just going to be dead in the water uh, like he was uh, in the game that he he played earlier. Um, And he picked orcs again. And I just shook my head. Um, (laughs) uh, But uh, he actually, to kind of wrap this back, he was the one who picked uh, Mad Mob. Uh, And then I I faced off against him. Uh, I brought Starblood Stalkers in. And um, at the end of the game, uh, I asked him, um, so how did it go? And before I could even get the final uh, words out, he cut me off with a so much better. Um, (laughs) And and he's looking forward to uh, joining us in the future, which which is really great. But um, so how I've been approaching... um, with each of the new players I've been introducing, is I've just presented them with kind of a buffet of aesthetics, mm-hmm. and then they'll be like, "Well, what what does this warband you know kind of do?" And I'll I'll give them just a slight, almost more narrative overview, but how the mechanics play narratively. Oh, you're going to be you know trying to hold down objectives, or um, you're absolutely going to just trying to be uh, taking taking bodies off the board, mm-hmm. um, or they they have these really clever um, tricks. Uh, that are going to be more card focused you know s- um, just kind of giving these very light overviews um, and uh, people smile and they grab their first warband uh, that they chose which I which I I've been really enjoying that aspect because um, the decision for them has already started uh, they've already done something fun that mm. this appeals to me aesthetically I want to see what I can do with this yeah um,
0: I, I like the idea of having like a your your two or three sentence pitch for each of the war bands. Like here's, you know, here's what these, here's what makes this war band fun, right? Like that's, that's what you want. Um, I, and I think maybe related to that is when you're sitting down and we will get into some general tips here is uh, being able to give that pitch for the war band that you're bringing to the table too. So they understand like, okay, so uh, I chose McGores, So I'm going to get in there and, and punch faces uh, and this person across the table, uh, might be, you know, Phil Starblood. So they're going to do some fighting, but they definitely care about the objectives, something like that, you know? Um, but, but being able to give that pitch, so they under understand just in like very broad terms, because there's going to be a lot of information to process. So, um, what, what other general approach, like what on, on your general approach to, to teaching, did you, did you find was uh, particularly successful for you?
2: Sure. So, um, uh, a little more background about me. I am absolutely the one in my play group uh, or uh, in, in amongst my friends that when a new game uh, comes out, people will hand me the rule book and ask me to learn it um, <laughs> and uh, help help get this game to the table that either uh, they bought and they really want to play or that or there's always me doing that as well. Um, uh, w- with my general approach, right. Um, I think it's, it's very important uh, to... Come to the table with enthusiasm, and to know what you're bringing to the table, to be able to be an ambassador for it. Um, I think there's there's two types of audiences that you will usually have at the table. Um, somebody uh, that is okay with stumbling through and learning with you. So if this is both uh, the first or the first game for both players, uh, and you're going to be learning together, um, you you should know that the other person is in for that, because that can be a bit of a slog or a challenge. You're, you're going to take many breaks visiting the rulebook throughout, uh, because neither of you um, have a compass uh, or a full understanding as to you know what you'll be doing during the course of that game. You're learning together. Um, but most of the time, especially probably for our listeners, um, they're going to be ambassadors to the game. And so as an ambassador, Know the rules as best as you can. Come with enthusiasm. You want to be an example of fun, just just in your mannerisms. Like, uh, this is something enjoyable that I'm introducing you to. Mm-hmm. If you can't bring that to the table, then they're going to feel that right out of the gate. Um, and that is something I, I try to bring to all of my board game um, uh, introductions. Another thing is it's important to get uh, components uh, into the, the hands of the players and to get examples in front of them it's much more effective to um, to actually have what they're learning in front of them and maybe even having them move it across the table if you're teaching like a move action or something like that mm-hmm. um, than to just talk at them um, there are, many different learning styles too. I feel like universally the strongest one, um, is just being able to get your hands, um, on the, the interaction. Um, it helps lock it in because you're actually going through the motion instead of having that one person sit there and talk at you.
0: Yeah. To that effect, I like to do the, um, like you're saying, I'll, I'll kind of explain the basic actions, but I'll say like, here's how a move works. And just have pick out, you know, have them pick out one fighter that they like in their warband, and then say, okay, we're gonna do a move with this fighter. Here's what that move would look like. All right, now we're gonna do an attack with this fighter. That's what the attack would look like. And then have them actually do it. So you explain it and have them do it. Uh, this is if they're, you know, coming from a, a real base level. And do go through a few of those before you even start that first round. You know, I, I think an extra few minutes spent there uh, will really help them uh, when it comes time to like. Now I
2: have a whole bunch of decisions in front of me. Uh, oh, and, it's huge. It absolutely builds a foundation uh, for what they're going to be doing throughout the course of the game, for sure.
0: Um, the uh, You talked about uh, um, the sort of... Or I don't know. We, there's this consideration of uh, trying to avoid... like, You want to know the rules as best you can, uh, but we want to avoid bogging things down um, too yes. much. Right? So uh, for me... You know, because a lot of times and we'll talk about this a little later. But a lot of times you're you're teaching using rivals, uh, so you you may have cards in that uh, in your in your deck that you're like, well, it's actually a pretty complicated card. Uh, and so if I've got one of those in hand, uh, one of those power cards in hand, I may just choose not to play it. Like, I the, the <laughs> this card might do something cool, but it it may be just a little bit much for right now. Um, this wouldn't be an example, but. Uh, actually I will say this. If you're, if it's a card that ever won, uh, uh, battle for salvation's aggressive defense award, then maybe just, uh, keep that, keep that in your back pocket. Aggressive defense, (laughs) uh, famously complicated to understand card from, uh, I think the second season, uh, and they, they give an award for the most complicated card in any pack based on that. uh, uh. And so, yeah, some some of those I'll just I'll just leave that off, and then the other one I'll leave off. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but uh, I it's great for uh, the new player to play a gotcha card because it feels like they've really figured something out, you know. So if they play something like narrow escape, which is uh, a Ripa's card that does one less damage, you, you take one less damage, or uh, what was the uh, what was the amazing cruel boys one? The uh, uh, oh tough enough or something
1: yeah Uh, i don't remember but yeah it's it. they just it's like oh and then we just uh, reaction to reduce damage so yeah that shock of oh i guess my attack isn't going to kill you yeah that's an exciting
0: experience for the person playing it um if you're just learning and you finally figured out like okay let's see if i do this charge here uh and get a successful attack like oh yeah i could actually do something cool that can be a pretty rough feeling. And so I, I think I also tend to not play gotcha cards. Uh, try, try to play cards that give uh, people a chance to think about a little bit and plan a little bit. Um, yeah. I, and maybe that's player dependent. I don't know. But that's uh, something I've I've found.
1: I think it's good. F- it's definitely good if it's somebody who is either very new to this game or very new to like card games in general. I think if you have somebody who's coming to the game from other card games, they'll be used to something like that happening. Mm-hmm. But if they've never played card games before and aren't familiar with like this, like, haha, I've got this answer to your thing kind of effect that happens in a lot of card games, they'll probably be like, Oh, well crap, I didn't expect <laughs> that. And that could be a turnoff. Um I think in that same vein, there's also cards that are just like It's not necessarily that they're super complicated in terms of rules, but it's like the way that all these different rules interact means that it does something that almost feels like you're cheating. (laughs) And you're like, well, because of how these things all work together, it actually works like this. Right. And so, you know, I get to shut you down or whatever. Those kinds of cards, I think, are definitely not great options and i don't think there's very many of those anymore just in general but definitely not in starter decks but Mm. definitely leave them at home for teaching (laughs)
2: games well Uh, and i think um you know as an ambassador when you're sitting down you know trying to bring another player into this game your goal should be to facilitate fun um you're not there to outplay them to punch them while they're down or conceal info you know um, and if if you're holding one of those gotcha cards in your hand and you're feeling out the game, you, I mean, you should have a read on kind of the mood uh, mm. of the of the player you're teaching, and like if they have that strong familiarity with card games, and they they would have a really fun reaction of, oh, that's gross, um, yeah. you know. If if you played that gotcha, go for it. But if if they're struggling and. You're trying to, again, facilitate that fun experience. Don't don't punch them. <laughs> just, just hold it in your hand. Discard it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, in, in that same vein, one of the things I like to do uh, during Underworlds is I tell players that if they draw in their first round or two of play a third end phase card, um, I let them know that they're more than welcome to hold on to it but especially in the first uh, round I recommend you know just revealing it discarding it and um, drawing another card because I'd rather ha- have them see more options during the course of their game than sit with that dead slot mm-hmm. and be restricted to learning and manipulating only two objectives at a mm-hmm. time
1: mm-hmm. yeah and the new the new Mulligan rule really helps with that and I think explaining mulligans isn't super complicated um so that's probably a good one that we we didn't even we didn't even mention but it's like hey this is probably a good thing to talk about when you kick off the game it's like well i i actually think that when you're teaching card games especially since most of the information is supposed to be hidden but it makes it really hard to know like how to help a new player understand their hand that i tend to try and say hey let's you know I'll I usually ask, but in a lot of cases it's like this is probably something we should do. It's play with open hands so that at least I know what they're looking at and can be like, are they understanding the cards? Are they seeing things? Because if if I don't even know what they have, how can I know if they're missing something?
0: Yeah. I think it's gonna be this thing that we, we hit on a whole lot uh, while we're talking about this, which is gauging your uh your new player's level. So if you're yep. someone who needs that you may play open hand the whole game you may they may be no I, I'm cool I can I can read these or maybe like let's play the first round open hand and then from there on out we're gonna we're gonna close our hands up and we'll see yep. how that goes so those are yeah. those are options there I uh, although mulligans are great for uh, new players I will sometimes skip over that if I think that they're potentially because like if you say hey uh, you have the opportunity to get rid of any cards that you don't need or that you, that aren't very good and they're like well I have no idea what's good you know like that <laughs> It kind of creates like sure, a stressful sure, sure. choice uh, point uh, early on. Uh, but I that's find that where, to be true. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, absolutely. Uh, I've seen that a lot um, as we've been bringing um, more and more people in. They We, we go over the mulligan rule, and um, very often they're like, well, I'm just going to keep everything. And I'll actually see them during the first round um, say and think out loud, um, oh, I should have mulliganed this card. Yeah. Because it's right. during the first round they realize. Oh, this is this isn't gonna work out. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is great, honestly. Uh, and so,
0: what uh, what I often do at that point is that at this point we'd have a chance for a do over in our hands. If you really want to, you can. But a lot of times we just play with you know the first time through. We just play with what we got because it's hard to you know hard to tell. So, yep. um, don't don't force somebody to try to make that kind of decision. Um, you talked about third end phase. So then you know once you've once you've gone through a round, you can say like here's. You know, you, you can get a sense for is a player still uh, feeling out the mechanics, or are they ready for a little bit of uh, of strategy, like in game tips and that sort of thing? Uh, yeah. And uh, depending on you know that, that can be a good time to start salting in rules of thumb. You know, so hey, yeah, you're at end phase in the opening hand, probably mulligan that hand unless it's hot fire
1: on the other two. You know, so yeah, uh, uh, five four or five upgrades in your power hand probably. Yeah probably mulligan that one too yeah um
0: the uh we uh we we've got one in here phil i think this is you you mentioned uh post game de- debriefs right like uh, yeah that uh honestly like everyone should be de- like because you this there's so much to this game there's so much uh so many different combinations and interactions and so much depth that uh Everyone is basically a learner for a very, very, very long time, possibly always, and so this is this is something that everyone can always use. Uh, but it can be especially effective, and really, uh, I don't know, Scott, if you found this, I found it very rewarding to do with a new player and hear them like have those revelations of like, oh, like, like if I had waited another turn before doing this, or you know, like that's that's been a really fun way to kind of gauge where our local community is, where our meta is. Uh, How excited people can get in the in the post game and be like, I I really feel like some of our players are really clicking on it now. We're like, Oh, here's what I should have done instead of being like, uh, you know, I don't know, that just went bad. Or you know, it's that's a that's really exciting to see someone really take to that that piece of it.
2: Absolutely, Um, uh, it's it's really uh, as you've highlighted. um, I I think everybody should be doing post game debriefs. Um, I think it's it's a very fun. Activity right at the end of the game, like you kind of just get to highlight the the moments that went well and kind of discuss things that you would have done differently, um, just just across the board. But um, with new players, that that's an especially um, when you can gauge, you know, how how the match went, maybe what they struggled with, and you can kind of lean into that or maybe make recommendations for their next game.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it also gives a natural opportunity for questions. Um, just open-endedly just being like what questions do you have about the game of underworlds which can be fairly complicated isn't really a good way to like suss out specific things that people are going to have questions about but if you just played a game where someone was like man this thing came up and i did this but now i don't know if i did the right thing it gives them like a natural opportunity to be like i now have this question in my mind that i can ask right now and we have a like ready built scenario to talk through it and I think that that can be a really helpful uh teaching tool and then also once players are a little bit further along like we had mentioned starting to get into some strategy tips and deck building that um this then also gives them the opportunity to be like so I included this card to try or I you know I I tried these things what did you think or do you think I should change anything about this Um, and so it's like you have these sort of natural progressions, but it gives you these nice stopping points to then say, okay, we just played the game. Now we can naturally talk through, uh, what your next steps are probably going to be for this deck. Mm. Absolutely. And I think it just bears mentioning again, like, well, this is good for new players. This is something everyone should be doing. This is something that's going to make anyone of any skill level a better player, because your opponent always sees what you did through a different lens than you did. Uh, and, and it's like, there have definitely been times where Davey and I have had these debriefs and it's like, you know, sometimes Davey will point out, like, why'd you include this card? Or like, when you did this thing, like, why, like, you probably could have done it di- differently. And it's like, I didn't even think about it like that. That's a good point. It um, gives me more things to think about.
2: I love during the post-op when somebody uh, reveals that they were playing a different head game than you thought they were (laughs) and vice versa. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. Um, Sometimes I'll do during a game where I'll say, I like, Hmm. uh, Remind me at the end. I've got a question about that. And it'll be like, I saw a move that I didn't understand the motivation for. And what I want to figure out is like, what was I, one of us was not understanding this situation I wasn't, you know, like you were saying, like where our heads were in different places, and I don't know if it was me or the other opponent who was maybe making the uh, potentially the wrong call, um, but uh, getting that sorted out. So uh, definitely useful for for all levels of players. But uh, there's certain there's there's some things that have gotten really good about this game for teaching, which is uh, they've gotten much better as the rule books go on. Which is also uh, something to keep in mind is if this person has picked up an older rule book uh, you're going to have to help them out if they're looking at their, you know, Beastgrave rulebook. It's going to look a lot different, uh, or somewhat different than their Harrow Deep, you know, rulebook. But Harrow uh, Deep has come with it a, a lot of sort of formalization. I've I've actually played in my last few games, kind of had the book, uh, certainly the teaching games, had it open there so I can just step by step say, hey, step one, we do this. Step two, we do this, uh, and be real systematic with it until people are like have the rhythm of it.
2: I was just going to mention um, that the back of the Hero Deep rulebook is so good to just sit next to new players, and I absolutely recommend if you have a Hero Deep rulebook nearby, um, always making sure it's sitting next to a new player because um, they can reference um, just the steps of a turn, the round sequence. Like it's so well laid out. I'm really glad that that resource is available now. Uh, I do have one complaint with it though. Um, uh, th- so. One of the trickiest rules I have found teaching new players is um, that the way that they've structured uh, the new framework for steps of a turn um, mm-hmm. is really good for the most part. Um, it's teaching people that they have met an inspiration condition and they can mark, you know, their fighter for inspiration, and this is when they'll inspire. That's that's been good. That's mm-hmm. been something that's been easy to to teach and get across, and I can point at when that occurs. Same with surges, um, but. The reaction step has been um, a trip up point uh, for new players because they'll hold on to these cards in their hand that say reaction. And even though they spell out all these different windows, um, this kind of looks like this is when you have to do the reaction because that's yeah. the reaction step. Yeah. Uh, and I wish that this said, you know, uh, if you're looking over the steps of a turn, it says activation and then reaction step. And then you move on to Inspire and Surge. I wish instead it said, um, "Once all reactions are complete, mm. uh, then Inspire and Surge step." And and having that same caveat after Power, you know, yeah. once all reactions are done, go to Inspire and Surge. Uh, it's it's created a lot of uh, um, awkward timing and just just um, uncertainty uh, across the the table when a new player is sitting on a reaction card and seeing that there's a special step for it and not realizing that's that's only one of the many windows.
0: Sure. Uh, we've talked about, uh, so you talked about the reaction step. Are there other things that uh, either you guys have found to be uh, a particularly challenging rule to work through with, um, with a new player?
2: Uh, a little bit of the terminology, um, particularly wounds characteristics mm. uh, versus wound tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that those would have been named um, separately um, just to really kind of drive that distinction that this is a wound um, because calling your wounds characteristic that uh, like the capacity at which you could have wounds um, it it feels like health and i i'm sure that there isn't uh, or that there's probably some reason that health wasn't chosen but just the fact that they share that same term um, can be can be difficult Um, yeah
1: like objectives and objectives, <laughs> that would yep. And that is
2: that's the second ter- terminology trip up point. Um, yeah, and that one's even harder uh, than the than the wounds one. Um, very often people are holding objective cards, and they're like, "Well, this says if I'm holding an objective, yeah." And I'm like, "Yeah, oh I've got well, right here, yeah. exactly." <laughs> it's like, "Well, that's referring to this token on the board." Yeah. Well, why is that face down?
1: <laughs> now it's a feature token, so. <laughs> No, there. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair point um, to talk through some of these tricky terms. Um, I, I think this is probably a good thing to get into like post first couple games to just be like, let's make sure that you understand some of the intricacies of these terms, because yeah. there are a lot um, and some of them are not as clear as they probably could be. The
0: flip of it is I, I do. You know, so I, I think those those terms, and I think reactions, I think, are the most consistently uh, reactions is probably the most consistently difficult thing to cheat, teach because uh, to play them correctly requires a, a pretty good understanding of the timing of things, which can be uh, which can be challenging. Uh, so that's a pretty good raft of tips. Are you are you guys anybody got anything else that they uh, want to uh, throw out there for generalized? Uh, tips for teaching or uh, should we talk about like how you pick out what that first matchup might be
1: I I think the only other thing that I sometimes find helps and this is probably not something you want to do in someone's first game but sometimes I feel like people will get into a situation where they're like I have multiple options here and I'm not sure what the best choice is and you can tell that they're thinking about it and they're like working through it and sometimes if I sort of see that opening to be like this is probably a good opportunity to put like winning aside and be like let's talk through these scenarios and be like well if you did this you'd be like at these chances of succeeding versus if you do this you'd be at these chances of succeeding Mm. so you know there's some options for you or being like if you see something that's like you know if if you do that, you're going to be putting yourself in this situation. Are you sure that's what you wanted to do? And they'll maybe be like, Oh, I didn't even realize that I want to take that move back. Because you don't really want to put someone in a gotcha situation, because they didn't track all of the things that your warband could do, because they're still learning their warband. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, not something that I think you need to do in someone's first game, it can be like information overload, you just kind of like, at that point you just restrict yourself from taking advantage of them making maybe a mistake but like once they're like in the game and they're like yeah i get it but i'm still like struggling over some of the decision points i feel like sometimes it can be helpful not to tell them like what the optimal play is but to like help talk through and think through what the options are
0: uh skylar did you have a last thought here before we move on to uh picking that starting matchup
2: yeah. So one of the things that we've been focusing on is if you're the other participant in the teaching game, um, mm. and, and very often you're, you're probably onboarding you know, that one person at a time. But if you're ever in a situation where there are multiple people, um, especially you know, two or an even amount of people mm. um, that are looking to learn the game, um, I found that um, being willing to sit out and facilitate that game. Um, totally. Yeah, great call is the best way to teach. Um, and anytime somebody has a question, they're not asking their opponent. Uh, mm. So you're, you're even removing that, right? So you get to pivot over and over and just always, uh, like, don't don't tell the other player, well, they're going to do this, you know, sort of a deal. So, <laughs> so I, I'm going to steer you this way because I know what their cards are. Obviously, you don't want to do that. Um, but uh, I found for that, especially for that inaugural game, right? That is the um, the best way to teach it if, if you have two people or, um, or more that are interested. Um, and I've also discovered that after you've done that, um, if you can pair those people then to uh, somebody who's more familiar with the game after that match, instead of um, keeping them playing um, each other because they're still working through the rules, um, Uh, we, we, we made a mistake recently in our play group where we, we left two, uh, newer players, um, alone for, for their second game. And it was not something that we really, really thought about, but afterwards they're like, yeah, we really wish that we had played against people that knew more, or we still had that facilitator present because we found that we were lost more often than not. Our match went on longer than we would have liked. We were a little frustrated. Um, and, uh, that was that was a personal note to take away that um even though they had that one game behind them that going forward if you can at least keep some knowledge at the table even if it's in the opponent seat uh after that it helps just move the game along and answer those questions without having them to you know break to the rule book Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's a i'm really glad, glad you brought that up that was a yeah a very good point i know um especially early on, I would kind of enjoy like getting to the store for our league and just kind of floating among the tables and helping answer questions and kind of watch things and all that sort of thing. And I find now, uh, I have much, much fewer questions to answer. Like I'm mostly just, uh, watching some cool interactions and that sort of thing. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it can, it can having that facilitator, can really get you some good bang for your buck.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think one last thing that I, that scenario made me think of and this is something that i feel like you've told this story a couple times davy is that you you probably shouldn't try and introduce people to the game in multiplayer uh, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. i don't know if you want to elaborate at all but I, I just i think that's a good rule of thumb to avoid uh yeah teaching I, games so with more than two people
0: there's just extra uh there's the i the game at its core has been uh designed and refined as a, as a two player game. Uh, it is possible to play it with more and that can be fun in its own way, but it is less refined for that. Um, you, you could make an argument for uh, um, uh, arena mortis, uh, but uh, the, the problem with trying to do multiplayer with the full war bands is that there just tends to be a lot of downtime. Uh, and that includes in the power steps where each person has to pass in turn. So the power steps can really go on a long time. And then just, uh, while somebody's making their, making their choices, uh, it's just more waiting time. So it makes it last longer. So, uh, I don't say, wouldn't say never do it, but I wouldn't make it someone's first, uh, first, uh, introduction. And I would, uh, I would take efforts to, you know, try not to do a, if you've got four, just do two, two player games. Um, so.
2: Absolutely. You also get to avoid, uh, any, um, unfortunate, like ganging up, um, sure. Yeah. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, that I I, I spend most of my time uh, speaking the warnings of of uh, downtime, but also in this uh, in this time when I introduced it as a multiplayer game, uh, one player had reavers, and I think it was down to just Garrick with two wounds left by the by the uh, second round. Oh, because <laughs> uh, everyone everyone was like, he just like oh, I'll just charge with these guys, and everyone was like, oh, one dodge guys it's only two or three wounds in my territory don't mind if i do Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) and so he he had a very long game of running garrick around trying not to lose his last guy so uh
2: but yeah before we move on there was one one thing er, earlier that um was sparked for me that i wanted to mention it it was i believe davy you were talking about um things things to kind of leave out um you know going into your first game and i i just wanted to say leave that um scatter template in the box <laughs> don't <laughs> don't don't try to teach that out of the gate um if it comes up in the game uh you know hey what does scatter do oh it's about to you know like we're here we're at that point then yeah. grab it but sure. no one needs to know about that going into their first game <laughs> fair uh so what that tells
0: me is uh in your first game you're probably not uh, dropping uh, a into the mix um <laughs> They're done definitely... done some of the other considerations you might have is like decide whether or not I, I don't think magic is all that complicated, but it is another thing to, to figure out. Um, war bands that have a ton of reactions or a ton of complicated text on them, uh, are, are, uh, probably something to avoid, uh, soul rate uh, cough, um, <laughs> <laughs> who I, who I adore, but, uh, that, that's going to be a tough, uh, first, uh, first introduction for somebody. Um, I, I, if if you have so uh a warband that springs to mind with that where errata has become a thing, uh there's Molog, which has his own issues because he he can uh create such a lopsided game sometimes. Uh but also uh, uh Thorns of the Briar Queen where um where uh not I'm trying to Barclav? say Barclav, where Varklav has been uh Arata'd a couple times. If you're gonna bring one of those warbands, I think you need to consider ignoring the Errata for that first game, uh, or just not bring uh, something because it's it's really frustrating to have people have to like, hey, I know your card says this, but it doesn't really say that. Let me tell you what it actually
2: says. You know? Yeah. That's, absolutely. That's a bummer. So I think if if you want to um, to not introduce them to the way the card is. Um, written and how, how the errata is in function, uh, maybe do the legwork of just printing out uh, a version of the card that has the errata. Um, mm, I know sure. uh, Underworld's UnderworldsDB uh, actually updates those. So you could just get a, a printout of what that card is. But ultimately, I, I agree. I think you just avoid it. Um, I think it does lead to kind of a feel bad if they go into championship, um, you know, down the road, and they realize that oh wait, I, it doesn't work that way, um, mm. and I've fallen for this war band, you know, sort of a deal. <laughs> yeah. I want to field them in championship, and there's this restriction. So, I think, um, yeah, either either ignore and then you know caveat it later, uh, or you know set them up with that understanding out of the gate by actually having it physically present instead yeah. of having to like. That's
0: a pretty solid idea. Yeah. Um. Do you guys have any uh, other considerations, and if not, uh, maybe some specific thoughts on like what you know uh, what you would have that first matchup be like? What do you think is a
2: good teaching matchup out of the gate? In some of the some of the games um, that uh, I facilitated, there there have been people who have picked um, the um, Idaneth. Uh, there uh, was somebody who wanted to play Wild Hunt, and in, in another instance, somebody who wanted to play. Um, Oh, who are the combo elves? Um, the blade coven. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> um, and in combo each elves. Of, <laughs> in each of those instances, they have uh, an inspire mechanic that would normally go off at the beginning of a round, you know, as mm-hmm. written. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we've been teaching people, we've been we've been doing that. We've been letting them, you know, letting uh, the deep kin uh, or the, sorry, the soul raid uh, have. That full round two of inspiration, yeah. um, instead of being robbed of an activation, and I know, you know, the rules are written in such a way right now where uh, they would have to wait a full activation. Um, but yeah. in those cases, you you pull a lot of power, um, and uh, so you pull a lot of power out of the warbands. But you're also you're trying to facilitate fun, and mm-hmm. you're you're telling them that they're, they're going to have a little less fun during the yeah. course of their game.
0: <laughs> um, yeah right cuz inspiring is one of the most exciting moments of the game like oh like my my guys all went in turbo mode like cool mm-hmm. let's see what that is and having to having to make Absolutely. them wait to open their christmas presents is a little rough so. uh, phil what do you, uh, you got any considerations or you got uh...
1: yeah so i think i think if so like i said you kind of can let people you know follow their enthusiasm and it's like, if they really like a warband and lay latch onto it, fine. You know, whatever, just play, let them play it and we'll cover all the tricky bits and we'll just make it work. Mm-hmm. But if they're like, I don't know, I just want to learn this game, I think in, in a lot of ways, aggro is a lot easier to teach. So you can kind of pare down to aggro warbands. And then I think warbands that are uh, not very... F- like finesse like you don't really don't really have to like if you make a mistake they're forgiving i guess is what i'm trying to get at so like stormcast uh orcs um magor's fiends like they're all fairly tough they all do fairly linear things it's like i want to go punch stuff we're gonna go punch stuff like you don't have to think about like so like with blade coven it's like Oh man, I want to go punch stuff, but I can't be like too aggressive, and I have to like think about all these different little like intricacies, and that can end up being difficult when you don't even fully grasp the rules. But like if you've got Morgax crushes, you're like, yeah, I got these guys, and they're just gonna move forward and punch stuff, and I don't even have to really worry about dying because they all have five wounds. And um, so I think that's that's helpful. I think like Skylar said, Inspire mechanics can be an important indicator like of just it's going to feel fun when stuff happens, but I think also like, you don't really want to have to worry about it too much. So I I wouldn't like pare down by inspire mechanics, except for some of the like most complex (laughs) ones to explain. Um, I think maybe also trying to avoid some of the resurrection mechanics can be, a good thing to stay away from, just because it starts to add some layers of a complexity of trying to understand. Like, wait, counting fighters that are out of, like, out of action. Does that mean that they're currently out of action versus they just came back and like trying to? It, it opens up a whole nother layer of difficulty. So, yeah. um, unless somebody really latches onto those, I think they're also good ones to leave out.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think those are all uh, good considerations there. Uh, when I'm setting up that first matchup, uh, I like to have like I like to have both warbands interested in attacking, you know. But mm-hmm. they don't have to both be all aggro. I I really like having uh, a a faction in there that cares about standing on objectives in some ways. And to be fair, even crushes, you know, they have a couple of object, uh, great surges for holding. Yep. Up objectives in enemy territory and so i would just want to make sure that aspect's in there somewhere because that is an important part of the game and you took all this time at the beginning of the game to put the feature tokens down so you need to show why why anybody cares about them right uh so i think that's pretty helpful so we come back again again to the idea that uh that players if there's something they're passionate about harness that right because like enthusiasm and fun is kind of what we're shooting for and you've got a shortcut to that state uh, that state of being if they're already excited about the the faction they've taken uh and so then sometimes just about matching something for them to play against um and skylar mentioned you know sometimes it's a it's something that you might be interested in checking out a little bit like know them well enough to that you're not like oh i have no idea how any of this works you know you don't want to be doing that um Mm -hmm. but uh, if you're having fun making discoveries too it can it can help so um my my first thought when I was looking at this, I, I actually thought, and this is not all that helpful suggestion for uh, people who are just getting into the game. Now I thought the Steelheart versus reavers in the, in the very first box, that was actually a pretty good way to learn. Uh, cause they were pretty straightforward. There wasn't a whole lot of reactions. I think,
1: uh, I would uh, agree
0: a couple in the cards. Um, I think it was maybe a little lopsided right out of the box, but, um, that's fine, you know, and you can, uh, but, uh, Again, that's not, that's not super helpful. Steelheart versus Reavers are not an easy thing to find. So uh. <laughs> it's not. <laughs>
1: but it, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting point for like the game going forward and that, you know, this, the whole point of core boxes is it's supposed to be a starting point, but the core boxes are getting complicated. Like it's mm-hmm. not just, hey, here's two warbands that kind of do some stuff and like very straightforward linear play styles. Um, I mean, like Dread Pageant is both can be a good learning uh, warband but they have like this really like high ceiling of like learning lots of weird little tricks you can do with them yeah um,
0: here's here's though i, I will say I'll, I'll detour and say i really like dread pageant as uh giving if somebody is is down with the aesthetic or whatever i really like that as a i really like them in general but uh i really like that each of the fighters have their own little role like they they each yeah. do kind of different things uh there's the you know healing reaction on there, but they're not particularly complicated cards. Uh, and then they're in faction stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff and there's uh, a mix of things that are like, you know they have God seekers, which is have uh, all your fighters in enemy territory and that can be scored at any time. Um, there's all kinds of uh, ones for holding objectives or holding more objectives. I think there's a lot of great teaching cards in there. And I think uh, which is actually kind of important is that they have four fighters i think four fighters is kind of a, a a little mini bonus for a starting faction because people uh in that very first round are like oh well, i'll just do an action which with each, with each of the fighters you know if they until they get the idea of like here's how i can leverage one fighter for more than one action or you know or hey i've only got three fighters why do i have four activations what would i do with this last activation <laughs>
1: yeah I, yeah
2: i i have to agree i think the dread pageant is an uh an excellent uh learning uh warband mm-hmm. um, i do feel they're opposite the uh, Mi- uh purifiers probably mispronouncing that but the purifiers um yeah. they they are actually uh, one i would leave leave out um i think they are uh, a lot harder um to oh. learn with because of that aether quartz mechanic mm-hmm. um they kind of fall into a trap of thinking um uh, that it's not as precious of a resource as it really is, and there are so many cards that that look <laughs> for it. Um, sure. I kind of, th- I kind of think of their um, their rivals deck as more of a toolkit uh, mm-hmm. and less and less of a cohesive. Um, Rivals' experience, and, and to that end, we actually had a new player that was that was quite frustrated uh, fielding purifiers. They were so pumped, they actually painted up the band uh, in okay. advance uh, before oh, they <laughs> even. I know, before they even sat down for their learning game. But uh, they played uh, three games in a row with the purifiers and um, just um, could could not find victory, and very often uh, was was frustrated with the choices in their hands. Um, and would uh, be in a place where it would be referencing one uh, fighter, you know, on the cards that they had, uh, but that fighter would already be out or had mm-hmm. already used their Aether Quartz token, you know. So, sure.
0: um, I one faction that I thought was kind of surprisingly good for a starter was the. Um, uh, I was going to say condemners, no, but, but uh, uh, oh, the storm of Celestis. Uh, so the, yeah. The uh, shooters out of there, they don't have a lot of complicated things. They do have the the sleek reaction, which lets you put people on guard. They have some shooting. They have multiple attack actions, but that's not too tough to wrap your head around. I, I feel like uh, they have a, a, a spread of different things. They've got the four-fighter thing going for them. Um, uh, so if you have access to everything, I, I think you know, Storm of Celestis versus Dread Pageant isn't a bad starting matchup. I think that's a 4v4 um, without... Uh, too many overly complex things and it's funny as as you march through uh the seasons that are you know still available on on the shelves like it, it's like oh yeah like you know um i don't know uh trying to think of one that was good with objectives like oh yeah there's the star blood and i'm like ah, the, all the skid reactions <laughs> that's that's kind of tough and then i was like well you know there's the the swarm of uh canaan's reapers. like wow that that mechanic you know it, it's a you have, to, you have to get a feel for how complicated a mechanic that, that can uh, people can process. But uh, I, I think if you are looking for something not overly complicated and, and might give you a good game and showcases a lot of different things, uh, I, I, I my personal one, I think I, I quite like the Dread Pageant versus Storm um, for, uh, for teaching. Um, but uh, obviously with the caveat of whatever people are excited about. Uh, you guys got any more thoughts about that?
2: I, I think those are both great picks. Um, I think another uh, one to add in is the late, latest Stormcast edition. Um, mm. uh, Zendaya's True Seekers. Um, mm-hmm. What's really fun about this for new players is when one of their Stormcast figures, you know, is removed from the board, they get to do something exciting. Oh, yeah, uh, that's
0: a really good point. Yeah. Like so
2: that. That, so they don't feel as punished, you know, when something's coming off the board because they get that like, um, well, here's the final strike, you know, moment from. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, from one of those fighters and I, I, I think that's that's really enjoyable and you get the, that four fighter war bend as well I, th- I think that's a very solid yeah um, and the first
0: time one of, them, one of the big ones goes down they get to inspire the other two right so like that, that, uh, that's a cool effect too So
1: I think that's so, good yeah. I, and I, I kind of liked your point Davey of like keeping in mind when you're teaching which factions are currently in rotation mm-hmm. um, it's something that I don't, we didn't talk about really at all uh, in any at any point until just now, but like if you teach somebody an old warband that's no longer available and they fall in love with it, <laughs> you might be <laughs> putting some setting someone up to be disappointed if they can't find it. Um, so it is probably good to keep in mind like what the available pool of warbands is to buy from if you're trying mm-hmm. to get someone into the game. It's a great point.
2: It's a really good point. Um, the uh, the like buffet of options that I'll lay out for players um, is always I always keep that in mind uh, and make sure that they're available because of, of what's exactly been said you don't want them to be like oh I really enjoyed my my experience this is the band I want to carry forward it's like oh well <laughs> how are your ebay skills
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, and the advantage of those later war bands too is that they have functioning rivals decks uh, by functioning yep. I mean like a legal rivals deck yeah, they have enough rivals. cards yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um and that that's kind of a big deal too um we kind of hit two things so i i had, I had uh, considered the idea of like trying to set up that initial intro or uh, initial factions but i, I think we kind of those kind of overlap quite a bit Do you guys have any other uh any other thoughts about uh, helping people with the factions in those first couple of games
2: I think um, if somebody was looking to, uh, I, I think this kind of kind of c- comes into play here. If somebody was looking for like a box to pick up to get started with, you know, get the boards, get the dice, and maybe even have, you know, two to pick from out of the box—one for them and one for their opponent. Um, you know, if we have any listeners that are excited to to get in and you know they don't have somebody that can, uh, you know, bring warbands to them, I think the the, the Herodie box is an excellent starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, orc faction um, is uh, i would say uh, arguably more complicated than uh, true seekers because you are going to be dealing a lot more with reactions um, and keeping in mind uh, your support capabilities but i think support is a really good mechanic um, to learn early and get a grasp on so if you're going to be dealing with you know a little bit of uh, of Extra complication, I guess, out of the gate supports a really good one to to get used to and learn. And so I think that that box is just really solid for uh, players looking to get into it as a whole. I'd agree with that. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it gets you the delve and the gloom, which you need to be familiar with now because that's that's the the world we're living in now. If you pick up, if you if you manage to find the dire chasm box, that's great, but Know that all the lake lethal tokens and stuff are not going to apply anymore is probably something that's going to maybe surprise people. So, something to keep in mind.
2: And if people do want to pick up a diarchasm box um, or they find a B scrape box and they want to start there, you know, uh, the rulebook, uh, the current rulebook is available online. Uh, It can be found at um, the official Underworld's website. and they could just substitute those lethal tokens because thankfully, you know, they're double-sided. You still got the numbers on one side and something on the other. Um, mm-hmm. you, could, you could say that the lethal sides are gloom. Yeah. Uh, yep, just
0: hide in that gnarly monster mouth.
1: Yeah. Yep. Just hang out, close it up. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: yeah. Well, so we've, we've made our intro games, right? We've, uh, we've gotten somebody, now they're, we've been successful with that um and we won't get as in depth here but what what are the next things you're gonna be saying to this player like they're you know like they've i think we talk about uh they won't even know what rivals necessarily is in the first one but maybe their first two or three games they're just with rivals so they don't have to worry about the deck building um so then they're expanding out maybe their deck building maybe they're you know so what, what are the next steps here would you would you say
1: I think it's something we already mentioned earlier, but we can just say it again is that now is when you start talking about uh, the rules of thumb. Just just give them quick hitting tips. It's like you don't have to really think about this. It's just like remember these like few points and that will really help you through your games. Um, and then like we said, we can start looking at deck building um, to just start to try and figure out like, okay, so here you've got your rivals deck. Like, what can we like take out and add in that that'll help you uh, start to improve the deck
2: i uh i found that by the time people have gotten through you know two three games they've identified some cards that they don't want to see again (laughs) (laughs) Um, that they're happy to weed out uh and that that's that's really enjoyable because you know if if they continue forward with rivals that that begins to be something that they have to consider could come up Um, but if they you know break into deck building uh, into championship, those those are going to be the first cards they happily cut and replace with something else. Yeah, uh,
0: and in those replacements, I think it depends if they if they already have that starter set, and then I think it's great to hey go go looking in the the universals that came with that set. Uh, obviously not the uh, the starter starter, but like the uh, one of the core sets. Um, uh, but if they picked up an individual warband, I think the Essentials pack is and you know this is not revolutionary to say i think it's a great place for them to go there's a lot of really strong choices in there there's a lot of not strong choices but that's important as well for deck building for them to look through and be able to you know see for themselves like okay i don't think i don't see a reason i would take this you know kind of start making some of those decisions is a, is a great great step for them i think you get a ton
2: of mileage out of the essentials pack i think yeah. essentials really earns its namesake um <laughs> and i have it Absolutely recommend it to to anybody uh, looking to get into deck building. Um, it would be my, my first purchase recommendation. Um, and uh, something something you called out was that you know it maybe look into the the, the box uh, for the universals that that came with. And you mentioned well not the starter, uh, but with a core box. And it's it's good to identify. That uh, the reason you said that is because there aren't, you know, any universals in the starter. Um, it's kind of intended to be paired with that essentials pack if you want to start deck building. Mm-hmm. Um, so buyers beware, no, no universals in the, in the starter, um, yeah. which isn't a bad thing, but something to know.
1: And I guess all of that is sort of a way to say, um, should probably start talking about like, what are potential next purchases? Uh, where, like, if you're going to grow, where do you go from here? Um, it's important to sort of outline, like, what does the structure of this game look like? Like, if you want to get more cards, what does that mean? Um, I think it can, you don't necessarily, and you definitely want to make the point that, like, you don't have to have all the cards, but if you want to start, like, deck building, we can figure out what is in which packs so that you know what you want to buy to get Mm -hmm. the cards that you want. Um, And I think to go along with that, you have uh, a lot of really strong online resources that have a lot more perspectives as well than just maybe what's available in your play group. And so, when you feel like people are ready, uh, sharing deck builders, blogs, uh, you know, just giving people resources so that if they want to go out and start learning more things on their own, that they can do that between your. Uh, whenever you know whatever frequency your game nights happen to be on
0: yeah there's uh you know they they get to really fall down the rabbit hole if they want with blogs and podcasts and uh, deck building sites and all that sort of thing so uh it's a fun way to to uh create more conversation about that uh, and i'll often end up pointing people you know someone to say like hey i'm struggling with this faction and i'm like i don't know anything about it. i mean i i know that i've lost plenty of times that faction so here's (laughs) here's here's things that made me lose to them that i'm aware of but a lot of times you know you can go look in and help them you know get get them
2: a link to get them started and then let them explore further on that absolutely um if uh anybody's looking uh to like engage with the community or or get answers to questions that they might have and they don't have like an easy resource like um to find where those answers might be posted. Um, There are definitely Discord communities out there. Um, Particularly, um, I enjoy the Warhammer Underworlds Vassal um, Discord for rules questions. If you Mm. ever have any rules questions, uh, there's a channel dedicated there. Uh, You post, and it will be surprising how quickly somebody gets back to you with an answer. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
0: Yeah. there's great discussion in those. Uh, And I'm hoping that... uh, fires up even more as we return to uh to in-person events possibly hopefully.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we'll go. see. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I think that kind of covers it. it. The onboarding of new players uh I, I think uh it's an important thing getting more players out there. I mean, we've got now uh we had eight or nine players that are our last outing at the league and you know with some some people who are sometimes there that couldn't make it. So uh, we've been pretty reliable at the eight and it's just been feeling great to have all those folks out there and, um, and just kind of showcase that enthusiasm every week. Like it's, it's been, it's been really cool. Uh, and, uh, and honestly, Phil and I didn't do very much about that. Like we just kind of got lucky with some, some groups, uh, coming together and then those, those folks recruiting other people. So, um, glad, uh, glad we could have somebody who knows a little more about that on than, uh, than us. So. Uh, Thanks for coming on, Skyler. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sure. Has anybody got any more thoughts before we uh, start to shut this thing down? I'm good. All right. Hearing none. We'll say, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, there's Twitter at WTHCast, uh, whatthehexcast at gmail.com. You can hit us about the Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, There's a conversation about all the different shows in the mortal Realms network we now have path to story covering path to glory stuff we have uh the story phase covering the background of age of sigmar we have dogs of war cry covering war cry those guys are killing it and then of course there's us what the heck's? um you can check that out at the themortalrealms.com if you want to just kind of browse around uh coming up we do have uh we'll have an episode for the end of the year and i think what we're going to take the opportunity is to do a little looking forward so we're going to uh talk a, a little bit about uh what what we think is coming what we hope is coming um and maybe a little bit of looking back as well um it'll be like i said we just hit our three-year uh, anniversary, anniversary we may take the opportunity to kind of reflect on uh, some of the things from the game or some of the podcast and uh, kind of uh engage with the listenership about uh what we what we might work on, what we might look to do going forward. Uh, so look forward to that. Um,
2: and Happy anniversary! You, by oh, the way, thanks. <laughs> yeah, we really uh, blew it out. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's been awesome having this uh, podcast as a resource um, uh, and being able to uh, be a part of the local community here. Um, uh, both have been just just a joy. Yeah, it's
0: uh, it's a part of my week. I definitely look forward to. Um, uh, anyway, we do have some recommend list, recommended listening. Uh, we got uh, a track by Perfume Genius called Learning. With that, for What The Hecks, I've been Davey. And this is Phil. And I've been Skylar. He got it. Somebody dropping cartoon anvils on the on the floor yeah. up there so sure uh, love it um and that's I think it. Oh. just
1: go ahead i guess i don't think it'll be an issue but we didn't remind someone once and then we had to bleep stuff out so we try to oh, keep yeah, it yeah. you know pretty <laughs> pg-13 so keep swearing to an absolute minimum uh, uh, to- totally aware i'm yeah, gonna do yeah. my best Okay. And, any and then, swearing you
0: do increases my editing load. So <laughs> you start swearing, then I start swearing because I know that I gotta do <laughs> and then
1: it just sort goes. of a react.
2: But uh, oh man, I've already lost my train of thought there. <laughs> Sorry, um, this might be one of those editing moments. Um, <laughs> that so- would <will> be. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I
0: always need uh, fodder for the end. <laughs> there we go. Um, so. Um, we're going to pause for just a second. I'm going to snooze this. Oh, Dane County is telling me, uh, my computer is about to restart. I only have 23 hours and 58 minutes remaining. So, oh,
1: only is that all? (laughs) So
0: hopefully we can wrap this up by then.